Welcome to the East City Wesleyan Church podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And if you would like to learn more about East City Wesleyan Church, please go to ecw.org.nz for more information. Now, here's your podcast. Anyway, the reading is from Colossians 3, verses 12 to 17. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all the wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of Jesus Christ, Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen. Well, what a delight to be together this morning and to dig into God's word and hopefully leave this space differently than the way in which we came. Not just to tick the box, not just to repeat, rinse, relax, and do it all over again. But uh, I I think I got that out of order, but that's all right. You're following me. I think it's a bit of a comedy routine up here. There's a giant hole right here. I don't want to step in and disappear. Cool. All right. So... As, uh, as we gather this morning, I'm not on announcements, um, I, I'm preaching today, but I do want to say what a beautiful picture last night was of the kingdom of God, uh, to celebrate our differences, to be a diverse community of faith, and to enjoy company with one another, to get those little tastes at home. And I think uh, so many conversations I was having around the building uh, just brought tears to my eyes. Tears of memories when you get that certain taste of food that takes you right back to a very special moment, right? Aaron Waugh had banana pudding on the American table last night. Took me to Grandma's house, right there. Grandma that passed away a few years ago. It's an emotional thing. It's something to celebrate. To to go around to the different countries and, and say, okay, what is this? It's delicious. Or what is this? This is a little different, but I, I like it. To hear stories about how we each have different comfort foods, different experiences, different memories that make us the beautiful family of God. And what a delightful night it was uh, to be together. And to bring those same stories and backgrounds and backdrops and histories into a space like this to say, God, we worship you and we love you. Thank you for the opportunities we have to live and experience life in all of its beauty. And we get to do that here this morning. Last Sunday, I had the privilege, I was wrapping up two weeks of holiday, and I was invited to preach the capstone service to Sione Wesleyan Methodist Church's Evangelism Week. An entire week focused and Uh, engulfed with initiatives and programs and growing together in their outward-focusing ministries and evangelism. 
And Sione, if you are new to the church or if you aren't aware, meets in this space every Sunday at 1 in the afternoon. They come in, they have a Fijian service, and what a delightful group of people they are, to call them brothers and sisters in Christ. And I got to share, and it's this heartbeat of evangelism that just gets me fired up. You see, I love telling lost people about my Lord and Savior. I love telling people about the way Jesus radically changed and transformed my life as a 15-year-old kid. I love the way that God has grown me and challenged me through the years, and I love sharing that with people. But it's not just about me, it's about the cross. It's about the cross that makes that all possible. And I was quite fired up and I was quite excited because, you see, in the church we often differentiate and maybe even misrepresent what evangelism is all about. That we make it about this program, this this procedure. And I said all the things that we think evangelism is or we hear as a lie, as a misinterpretation of evangelism, that what is evangelism? And I heard things like, Good communication, relationship, caring for others, serving. And and we brainstorm together. And I ask you this morning, what's evangelism to you? I said, if we could sum it all up into a simple phrase, a definition, the, the Wikipedia front page, what is it? And a little girl about the age of five or six said, Love. Boy, that'll preach. Love. I fully agree. I wouldn't add, I wouldn't take away, because in Scripture we understand that God is love, and all things loving are of our Heavenly Father. In all its genuine purity, that's the heart of who we are as the people of God. And a Lord and Savior that loved us so much that He sent His Son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins, that we might have eternal life. Amen? I think we're all still in food coma. A beautiful thing. And and as I thought about that, I thought, so if evangelism is simple, is saying it's all about love, then why, church, is it so hard? Why is loving God and loving people so difficult at times? That'll also preach. It's all about love. And we just wrapped up a series that we called You Can. And I think all the things in life that tell us that we can't, all the feelings of insecurities and anxiety that make us feel that we fall short, that we're not enough, or the people in our lives that make us feel like we're average, we're, we don't hit the mark. Some of us needed to hear that indeed you can. When it comes to a matter of faith and discipleship and growing in your understanding as a Christ follower, that great things are possible, that miracles still happen, that the Holy Spirit is still equipping, empowering, and encouraging you to do amazing and radical things. So in this series, as the follow-up, we talked about growing your faith, 
And I want to talk about in this series, as we're calling it, unshakable. How do you become a Christ follower that's unshakable? And all God's people said, amen. I need, it. I, I need the reassurance of that. I, I, I need the pep talk to be unshakable because there's a lot of things that come into my life that give me stress. There's a lot of things in my life that weigh heavy as a burden. There's a lot of things that get me down and out. And I think the Holy Spirit wants to walk that journey of life with us. To say to rely completely and solely on Him. That we could have an unshakable faith. A desire, a burning in us. Hebrews 12.27 says this means that all of creation will be shaken and removed. So that only unshakable things will remain. So how do we build a faith that is unshakable? How do we live in a world where the heat is always on? The pressure is increasing. And how does one aim for godly success? What does that look like? How would you define that? How would you create an artful masterpiece that it would explain to the masses what it means to have an unshakable faith? I don't think I want to leave it to society and culture to define what it is to have godly success. And you know what? Even the church sometimes can't even agree on what this looks like. They can't come to a conclusion and unity for an answer. Have you ever heard of church disagreements? Never? Never. Grievances, church splits, people leaving, people coming, people going. Where people just can't agree on simple theology, basic ways of life. And case in point, I was reading some history on the Wesleyan Church in my homeland. Thinking about the international dinner, thinking about the big move coming up in January, going back to the States on the church history that's a little bit different than New Zealand's history. When you dig into it, that once upon a time, when, when you look at the world and when we talk about church, it's often looked at the church that's the conservative church, the people I like, and the liberal church that keep me up at night, that make me cry and weep when there aren't things that are biblical coming from their mouths. But believe it or not, once upon a time, the Wesleyans in North America were the liberals, 1950s and 60s. You see, there was a whole movement across the country. Keith Drury, one of my university professors, wrote on this wrote on this, this very week. He said, Wesleyans were once the liberals in society. That in the 50s and 60s, you wouldn't find a Wesleyan with a wedding ring on their finger. Really? And the Wesleyan said, no, we, we need to mark marriage, the covenant, the, the, the sacredness before God, that we made a covenant before God and people, and we want the world to know. No wedding rings. 1 Peter 3.3, 3, what more do you need that St. Peter's clear words that a woman's adornment should not be wearing of silver or gold or the plaiting of the hair? We really rocked the boat on that one in the 50s. How about this? All you Olympic and sports fans, 
no TVs. No Sky, no ESPN, no evening news wasn't allowed. And in fact, Keith Jury talks about his father that was a district superintendent in eastern Pennsylvania. That the, the, the church was establishing and saying, no, it's, it's okay. It's not sinful to have TVs. Just remember, gar- rubbish in, rubbish shout, you know. Censor, filter what you watch. Because what you bring in here usually emanates from here and here. Okay? So just be wise. And, and Keith Jury remembers when his father, as a district superintendent, got a television. You see, it was okay for the laity of the church to be getting TVs in this time, but uh, not for leadership, not for the pastors. And he got ran out of their district, said, you're not fit for leadership. And he pastored a church in eastern Pennsylvania until he retired, really rocking the boat. But the Wesleyans also had this history of becoming a bit more legalistic, not just pushing in on theological implications of biblical truths, but um, things like dancing. Now, I had a really good go at it last night, if you were here. I think I had two left feet. But when I was in uni, at a massive university, over 2,000 students, we weren't allowed to have a ball. We weren't allowed to have dances of any sort because it wasn't allowed. That's since changed since that time. Playing cards, getting together for a little game of Texas Hold'em, not gambling, but just playing cards, or euchre, a card game we play in the, in the Midwest, in the States, or even war or go fish. If it was face cards, don't touch them. That's Satan stuff. And one that I'm so thankful changed in our denomination. Wesleyans couldn't go to movie theaters. Lord, help me. The shock and horror of it all. And I say this tongue-in-cheek, but the reality that we, we all understand things that the churches are debating and, and, and really standing firm on and disagreeing. And it breaks our heart. We say, how did we get here? But I think people have asked that all along and always will until Christ's second coming. Some of it is blatantly wrong. Some of it is variance of interpretation. Holy Spirit, guide us and help us in all of it. So how are we going to allow God, how are we going to allow Scripture, how are we going to allow the Holy Spirit to help us to define what it means to have an unshakable faith? This morning, I want to ask you, and as we journey through this series together, what is it going to take for you to develop an unshakable faith? Colossians 3 unpacks the realities of what this looks like. Simply put, it's about putting God first. As we dig into Scripture and we pull from other letters as we pull from other books. We can journey quickly through the Old Testament and New Testament about what is this idea of putting God first. In the Old Testament, Exodus 23, simply put, you shall have no other gods before me. 
point blank. That idolatry is a problem. Don't do it. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Great advice. What does it mean through all, not just major decisions of life, but even the little ones, the minor ones, the insignificant ones, that we say, Lord, what would you have me to do today? In this moment, right now, God, guide my decisions, give me the words, give me the boldness to continue forward through all things in life. Proverbs 3, 9 through 10, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Okay, let's be careful here because some people will say, oh, that's prosperity gospel. I honor God and I'm going to be rich. Amen. I must be doing something wrong. What does it mean to honor God, to live generously with the things you have, to trust him in the ways you conduct yourself in life and in the world? Psalm 27, 4. One thing, I, one thing have I asked of the Lord that will I seek after, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. <clears throat> Excuse me. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Last night, the masterpiece of the diversity of the family of God, the people of God, that moment I wish I could dwell in forever. Guess what? I can. I can if I ask the Lord to give me the eyes to see his creation as he sees it. To soak in the beauty, not just in the beautiful sunsets and the sunrises and sitting at the beach, but maybe in my home, around the table with my family, with my friends, in my church, looking around saying, God, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to live the life. I am blessed beyond measure to give thanks. And then there's a giant buildup. And Jesus begins to rock the boat a little bit in the Gospels. Matthew 6, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Matthew 10, 38, 39. And anyone who does not take up his cross... In context here, and anyone who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. There's a lot of depth to these verses in Scripture. To take up our cross daily, that it's not about our comforts, it's not about achieving all the goals we set out to achieve on that day. It's not following a perfect agenda or schedule, or it might be. But to realistically, wholeheartedly to say, my life is a sacrifice to the bigger picture than what I fail to see on most days of the week. Fair? To honor God through all things said and done, through my gifts, my abilities, my income, my family, my relationships, whatever it is, 
That God, my convenience and my comfort is not the most important thing. So Lord, stir my heart to do something beautiful in the world. To do something beautiful with the life you've blessed me with that I can truly make a difference. For the kingdom. A challenging perspective. Matthew 13, 44 through 46. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. I think so often we hear the things about living a godly and fulfilling life. We, we look at saints of the church that inspire us. We hear a good message that motivates us. We, we sing along with a great worship set that makes us feel like, yes! But so often, we don't go that extra mile to say, God, I, I know I need to be an active participant in this journey of faith. God, that I, I know you desire not only to lead me, but to walk alongside me, that, that I'm moving with you to do something. Not to be a passive observer of what's happening in the world around me. Matthew 22, 37 through 40. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Kind of summing it up. Saying, okay, so um, face cards, dancing, movie theaters, TV. Here, here, here. Hear me out here, church. Let, let, let's simplify matters. Let, let's draw a line in the sand and say, love God with all your heart. And love your neighbor as well. We're going to unpack that a little bit more as I go through these scriptures. But what does it look like? What does it mean to love God and love others. Ephesians 1, through 23, and God put all things under Jesus' feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. To keep the main thing the main thing, to, to focus on Jesus, that it's not just about bits and pieces of scripture that we like, but it's about God's son that died that lived a perfect and beautiful life, that was betrayed, beaten, and crucified, that I could be saved, that I could inherit eternal life, that there is something after this body is dead and gone of life everlasting, that that grave could not hold him captive, but he was set free. And and to keep sight of that, the big picture, the cost, it wasn't free. It's extended to us, no strings attached, to say, will you receive it? But God paid a big price for my salvation and for yours. Let us never lose sight of that. In Colossians 3.17, And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Jesus was an absolute game changer for humanity. 
for all of creation. And living the unshakable life, we're to put God first. And, and it's often about receiving a blessed life, whatever that might define or look like. So let us put an emphasis on God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. Let's put an emphasis on me. Let's put an emphasis on you and get personal with it in this moment. Jesus says, the first shall be last. What? The first shall be last. Jesus did a lot of things in his lifetime, but the mantra of his life was God first. Love God and love others. Love the people around you. So here's the golden nugget of truth this morning. If you want an unshakable life, allow this to happen. Jesus helps us put God first so we can be last. Jesus helps us put God first so we can be last. What does this look like? I'm glad you asked. Let's dive into it. So um, my art and handwriting is about like my dancing. So bear with me. And if you can't see this, I'm going to walk through it. So I'm just going to say me. Me. Little old me. Right here. And we're going to say God. Okay? And there's a gap here. Not a big gap. There's a lot of things represented in this. Lot, in, in this. Okay? And we must become, we must put God first so that we may be last. And there's a couple things that stand in the way of that, that if, if we can't keep God first, will the Old Testament say, have no other gods before me? We talked about idolatry. Some of the things that come in the way of us loving God with all of our heart. Maybe, do you come across people that might love money more than God? I mean, let's get real and honest. Am I the only one that sees that? Okay, so, so people that might put money or their careers, their jobs above God might put family, right, before God, might put ideas, personal convictions, philosophies, all ahead of God, the creators of the heaven and the earth. And that is more important to them that they never get across the line of understanding what true freedom in Christ is. They never truly experience what salvation is all about. And then there's things that hinder us being last, right? So there's things that stand in the way that um, if, if we can't put ourselves last, this fullness that uh, oftentimes different sins that stand in the way, right? So we might have selfishness, we might have hate, we might have whatever you want to be, right? Whatever you're holding on to different desires that hinder us of truly filling this gap of life, of saying, no, I, I'm completely surrendering all things. Money can also go over here, okay? 
It's over there, it's over here. That we have a hard time surrendering, honoring, trusting that God is going to take care of it. God's going to help us to make wise decisions, to be generous, to be God-honoring through all things with our income. There might be a whole list of things right here. Hard things to surrender to say, God, we trust you. So where I want to get out of loving God and loving others is loving in this gap, right? So sometimes people hurt us. Sometimes people stab us in the back. Sometimes people make us feel less than par, that we can't do anything productive in life. They make us feel this big. And sometimes we hold on to those deep wounds and say, God, I can't forgive them right now. I, I can't get across the line to say, it's okay, I'm going to love them as I love you. That's ridiculous. But it's biblical. Holy Spirit, how do you help us to love God, to put him first, and love others? So it's different acts of surrender. It's different acts of repentance that allows things to go back into this gap. And I think it's understanding, loving in this gap, that if I truly say that I'm going to be last, I'm going to be last. I'm saying, God, I'm going to surrender all things to you because you are the creator's You are the creator of the heavens and the earth. I trust you. I believe in you. I accept your sacrifice that I could be saved, that I could inherit eternal life. And all the things that are going to hinder that are things that I'm saying, God, I trust you, but I don't know if I can trust you with everything. God, can you really help me to forgive those that have hurt me and wounded me so badly? God, can you really help... Uh, me to understand how you have my best interests at heart. Lord, can you help me understand how I take every step in life to honor and glorify you without falling short? And we begin to understand what it means to love in this gap. Love God, love others. So what stands outside of that gap for you? What does it look like To not have anything on the outside parameter, anything on the periphery, standing in the way of what God wants to do in you and through you in this life that we get to live. So loving in this gap, in a practical sense, means that we're going to give up our comfort and our conveniences for the big picture. That we're going to focus on what God desires in our lives and through our lives, and let that be the mantra of every day, not just Sundays, not just when we're engaged with our home group or serving in a ministry. There was a principle that I learned early on in ministry that said leadership begins in the car park. Pretty pretty cool principle, right? And I was on staff at a church of thousands of people And often when you go to some churches, you see a little placard that says, Senior Pastor's Parking, right by the front door. I'm like, oh. But I learned so much from this church because no staff was even allowed to park on site. That the church provided a shuttle from a half a K down the road that we could come back and forth to the church. Because leadership begins in the car park, you see. That it's for people who are going to come for the first time and drive around and say, oh, there's no car park, so I'm just going to go find a different place to spend my Sunday. Leadership begins in the car park. 
Here at East City Wesleyan, you'll note that none of the staff park on site. We park at Wonder Kids across the road or on the street. Because leadership is not about my comfort, my easy way. It means sitting in the least desirable seats when you go to church so others can easily find a seat. Front row's empty on this side. It's the desired seats. I love sitting here. Last Sunday, I sat in the very back on holiday. Just wanted to absorb and witness because I'm always sitting up here up front. And I realized that sitting in the back, that if anyone comes in late, you actually cannot see in our sanctuary where the empty seats are. That when everyone was standing and worshiping, that I would have so much anxiety as a newcomer to a church, be like, there's no place to sit. And I'd look like a possum in the headlights. And it'd give me anxiety. I don't want people to be anxious when they come to church. What does it look like? Finding practical ways of serving the people around you. Finding means of encouraging and loving others. And living generously. I'm not the wealthiest guy in East Auckland, but I hope everyone knows that I'm a hospitable, sharing, loving, and caring human being. And kind of a, a, a litmus test that I've always had in life, in, in thinking about purchasing a, a toy or something special, that I ask myself this question, am I willing to share it? Because if I'm not, then I probably ought not purchase it and own it for myself. That's always a test that I use in purchasing anything I've ever had in life. Lord, am I willing to share it? If not, maybe I'll just leave it at the store. How can God help you love in the gap? Anything that extends beyond this gap of loving God wholeheartedly and loving neighbors is yourself. Relinquishing, surrendering all things standing in the way repenting of any sin in our life, that God could truly use us to glorify and magnify his name, that we might all have an unshakable faith. Will you take this journey over the next month as we grow together? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity to be together as the family and people of God. Lord, I ask that you smile upon us and give us your favor. Help us to love in the, in the gaps and help us to deal with the things that are out of place. God, help us to honor and glorify you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.